All right, welcome to episode 14 of Special Situation Investing Podcast. Uh, today, mixing it up a little bit, um, we're just going to talk through an idea, um, a proposal, I guess, if you will, a little bit more free-flowing and off the beaten path of stocks, talking about Bitcoin. So uh, if you all don't like it, we will definitely be back on stocks next week, so you can just skip this one. Okay, so the first thing that uh, prompted this one uh, was really two things. One, an article uh, by Nassim Taleb, and then the second one is just uh, current events, really. So Nassim Taleb, and he's an author that I admire tremendously. I've learned uh, a lot through him, recommend all of his books. Um, Anti-Fragile probably being one of my favorites, but uh, a great author. Um, and he wrote a piece recently, article, called Bitcoin Currencies and Fragility, and uh, basically pulls no punches. He doesn't like Bitcoin at all um, and makes good arguments. Uh, but you could sum up the discussion or the article that he had with his, uh, I think it's almost the final quote, where he says, uh, we only judge a technology by how it solves problems, not by what technological attributes it has. And of course, uh, Taleb's art argument is uh, Bitcoin does not solve any problems. So with that, we kind of move on to the second piece that's interesting, which is just current events. A um, couple of news articles, and these are all within uh, the last year. And here's a few of the headlines. One of them, Afghans face economic ruin as prices rise and cash runs low. Experts warn of hyperinflation and growing poverty with money transfers from abroad suspended. This was, of course, back in uh, August of 21. Another uh, title, Afghans struggle with jobs gone, banks shut, prices on the rise. Uh, another article, and this one's more recent, so from February of 22. Canadian banks restrict funds to trucker protest groups. Another article about the uh, Canadians, Canadian protesters Truck seized, bank accounts frozen over connection to Freedom Convoy. Um, and then another one, and this is very current. Russian banks turn to Chinese payment system after Visa MasterCard suspension. That was uh, this month. Another one, uh, Justice Department launches plan to go after billionaire Russian oligarchs and their assets. So going after the billionaires themselves just for association with uh, Mr. Putin, I would guess. Uh, along with their assets. And then a final one here. And this one was from the Wall Street Journal. If Russian currency reserves aren't real money, the world is in for a shock. Sanctions have shown that the currency reserves accumulated by central banks can be taken away. With China taking note of this, uh, may reshape geopolitics, economic uh, management, and even the international role of the U.S. dollar. So, of course, what the Wall Street Journal is getting at there is with countries like China watching and they might see, okay, Russia has stored uh, a lot of their money in the form of federal uh, reserve um, treasuries, excuse me. Uh, so they've stored quite a bit of their money in treasuries. And if another country like China sees that the uh, Russian treasuries were seized or frozen or locked up, do they then question uh, how fungible the treasuries that a country like China would hold? All right, so what's the problem with all this? Uh, what do these articles point to? Um, kind of one thing, 
which is that the mobility of and access to your money can be controlled by a third party. Uh, and it's just as simple as that. So if you think about your own assets, you know, how much of your bank currency, um, how much of your stocks, bonds, you know, if you have real estate, how many of those things worse come to worse, could a third party step in and say, uh, at least for a period of time, you don't have access to that. And that, that happens all the time. So again, Nassim Taleb is saying that Bitcoin has no use case and, uh, for this, we're going to kind of delve back into history a little bit, but how did the current monetary system evolve? Was it solving for problems um, that maybe you could have argued at the time didn't have a use case? And I can think of at least one example where I would say uh, our current monetary system was solving a problem. If you go all the way back you know, to the very early days of banking, you have the uh, Rothschilds uh, and families like that, and and they provided a service. And, you know, many services. One of those would have been uh, the fact that you could travel between, we'll just say, Venice and London. And if you didn't have a bank system, you were going to travel with money. The money might have been gold or silver, something else like that. Um, And you ran the risk of being robbed, right? So you're on these highway roads, you're traveling in countries maybe you don't uh, feel safe in, or you just don't know um, how at risk you are. And all the while you're toting this treasure chest full of gold because you want to be gone for a year to do business in London or whatever the case may be. So along comes this essentially credit system from these early banks where they say, okay, well, you know, we'll establish a, a bank in London and a bank in Venice and a bank in Paris and these other key cities. And now what you can do is you can just take this you know note of credit or basically a check, um, to travel with, which is, of no good to anyone who might rob you. You've disincentivized someone from robbing you. But when you do get to the other end of your travels, you get to London, uh, you go to the Bank of London, you write a check that says that you've got money deposited in Venice and you're able to draw money in London, do what you need to do. And then at some time later, of course, uh, the bank in London, the bank in Venice are going to settle between each other. And, um, and settle that transaction, you know, safely with security or whatever else. And you're not running that security risk. So I would say clearly there, that's a case where um, a problem was proposed and, you know, banking, a money system came along to solve it. And, uh, and it offered a real, you know, economic value to the people who um, needed that. But the bottom line there is that um, banking, it didn't have to solve all the problems. So a lot of people criticize Bitcoin and they say, well, it's imperfect. And, you know, maybe the security will be broken someday. And, you know, what happens when the miners uh, stop, you know, mining in 2140 and, you know, can they make money off just fees? So they just attack the fact that it's not perfect. Um, which as you can see from the, the example of the Rothschild banking that I gave, um, the banking system at that time was not perfect. So you could have critiqued the system as a, maybe a gold or a silver holder in these early days of banking and said, well, this banking thing, it won't work because now we have to trust a banker or we have to um, be concerned that the bank itself could be robbed or that I could lose my checks or on and on and on. Um, basically, the point being uh, something can solve a problem. It doesn't have to solve all the problems and it can still be useful uh, because of just the one use case that it proposes.
So what is the use case for Bitcoin? What problem does it solve? Um, as you can probably see what I'm driving to there, um, it basically settles the problem of global settlement of payments without third-party interference and security of your asset without risk of seizure. So in the most extreme of times, uh, you can be secure in the, in the assets that you have in Bitcoin and know nobody can seize it if you've properly self-custodied the money. And you can make a payment to someone anywhere in the world, assuming you have an internet connection, right, and electricity, um, and that that is a real uh, use case. So um, I guess an example from my own experience that really turned me on to this a couple of years back was I was trying to pay a contractor for some services he had rendered in another state. And without going into the details, I said, oh, no problem. I'll, I'll do a wire transfer. Well, the wire transfer didn't work. Okay, no problem. I'll move the money on Zelle, which is an app that my bank has. And, um, you know, we've already spent a couple of days doing the wire transfer nonsense and that not working. Now I try and send him money on Zelle. I'm limited, right? I can only send, I think it was $2,000 at the time. And uh, so then I said, okay, I'll just send you the money in $2,000 chunks. And uh, it ends up taking, you know, the better part of two weeks to finally move all the money over to him because there were limitations on which, you know, how much you could transfer, how much in one week, how many days between, etc. And that was really the first time for me that I thought, you know, I think I have X amount of money, right? I think I have the money in my bank, uh, stocks, real estate, on and on and on. Um, but then when I went to use it as just a law-abiding citizen trying to pay someone else for their services, you know, I couldn't. And was there a solution out there for that? And that kind of got me going in the direction of Bitcoin thinking, okay, there are some use cases where in the margin, the other assets I have don't work. At least they don't work right now. And, you know, the Bitcoin uh, solves that problem. So uh, how does the Bitcoin solve the problem for, you know, the various different scenarios we saw in the news? Well, you know, if you're an Afghan refugee and you want to get money from outside the country to buy a plane ticket for that last flight out or something, somebody can get you the money. Uh, if you want to exit the country without uh, fear of someone, you know, seizing your property, uh, you might not want to travel with cash on you because you might get to a border checkpoint and the person wants to take a cut of your cash or all of your cash to get you through the border. Um, how much better to walk up to that border and look like you have very little. All the while you have uh, properly self-custody Bitcoin. You go through the border checkpoint. On the other side, you restore those funds and, and use them for, you know, whatever you might need. So for those uh, Afghans, that would work. Um, and I know of cases where, you know, that was used. Uh, what about if you want to send support to somebody else. So, you know, they had the Canadian truckers who uh, did not have access to funds because their bank was frozen. Maybe their assets were seized. And even if it was just for a time, you know, during that interim, you need food, you need gas, you need whatever. Um, you need just some way to, to, to move money around. And so in the case of the Canadian truckers, people are able to send Bitcoin to them and just kind of usurp all the, the freezes and the shutdowns and the blockages. You know, it could be the same with uh, somebody gets an IRS audit and uh, maybe while that process is ongoing, uh, they can't access their money. Well, you know, you can send them something in the interim that's at least going to get them groceries. Uh, 
Um, so there's that. Uh, for citizens fleeing, you know, Russia, Ukraine, kind of the same situation where uh, you could be just a, a person who's trying to get through a border checkpoint. You're worried about, you know, the security or of the money that you have, or you're worried about somebody uh, taking money from you that you have on your person. Um, you could be one of these Russian billionaires who uh, has had their assets seized because by proxy, you know, they're close to somebody that the global community has uh, has uh, decided to move against. And, uh, you know, there again, if you've got the ability to move a couple of million dollars anywhere in the world and, and not have that shut down by, you know, a foreign government, that is going to be of use to you. So, again, kind of going through this quickly on the use case. Uh, and some of these sound extreme, right? Um, you say, well, I'm not a... Canadian trucker and I'm not a, uh, billionaire in Russia or an Afghan, uh, refugee. Um, but there's so many other ways in life that we just, uh, prepare ourselves for what I would call events on the margin. So, uh, you might have a generator around that, uh, is available to, you know, provide power if, uh, there's a weather event and, you know, the power goes out and, you might go three years and not really need to use that generator, right? It's just sitting there, maybe gathering dust or use it on a camping trip. But the day that you get that ice storm and the lines go down, you're able to fire it up and make a cup of coffee, turn on a space heater, um, charge up a phone, whatever you got to do. So, you know, that generator has very little utility uh, most of the time. But what we're talking about here is, you know, the most extreme of circumstances, and it does even remind me of a Buffett quote. Um, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know he said something to the effect of, uh, "Cash is like oxygen; it's never thought about in good times, but in its absence, it's all you think about." And I think by cash, he didn't mean cash specifically, although that's included. But he really just meant uh, liquidity, right? So if there's a financial event that that affects liquidity. That could be a financial crisis that, you know, locks up a brokerage account, um, money market account, uh, or whatever, uh, you, what you want is liquidity. So, uh, with all due respect to Mr. Taleb, who I respect tremendously, uh, I would claim that there's a Bitcoin use case. Um, I've seen it myself. I see it, how it applies in the situations, you know, I just mentioned above. Uh, and again, what I would, uh, highlight is that the use case can just be that, Hey, this is one use case that works. Well, that's, that's a totally different argument from you need to put all your money in this because it's uh tulip mania. It's going to go to the moon and it's the next greatest thing. And it's going to be the global reserve currency of the world. You don't have to argue that you don't have to try and figure out smarter people on both sides have debated it for some time, but you can't say, Hey, there's this, you know, marginal situation, situation on the margin where this thing has a use case. And then you just have to evaluate for yourself. Okay. How likely is an event like that to happen to me? And, um, how much would I want available, uh, to move around in a situation like that? So, uh, again, this one was totally off the beaten path. And, uh, if I get a riot from you listeners, I will go back to a more standard, format of both uh, reading out the write-ups. Um, and also, as I said before, I'm definitely planning to go back to stocks for the next discussion. But 
I did think that this was uh, an interesting topic relating to investing and then certainly uh, in the news quite a bit these days um, with uh, with governments around the world basically using uh, the instrument of power of economics, right? Um, slowing money down, stopping money, um, and uh, just an interesting time to think about some of these kind of esoteric questions. So that's episode 14 of Special Situation Investing. Hope you guys liked it. And uh, if you didn't, just like I said, uh, you can skip those with the uh, Bitcoin topic in it. And um, and we'll definitely be back with some stock discussions next time. Thanks a lot.